Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Pot. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and please take some time to rate and comment on it. This is episode 21 of the Birding Life podcast, and in this episode, we continue to celebrate woman birders and conservationists. Today, I get to chat to a phenomenal birder and the co-founder of Expedition Birding, Tony Geddes. We hear from Tony how the birding bug bit, birding not only in South Africa, but also in some interesting international locations, and we also get some great birding tips. So stay tuned as we have a chat to Tony. Okay, so Tony, I want to welcome you to the show. Um, it's great to have you on the show. John was one of our first guests, John, your fiance, and I'm excited to get to chat to you today. So welcome to the show, Tony. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. So we're going to chat a lot about birds and a whole of other things. But before we get into all that stuff, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also just share how you got into birding? So I'm a 21-year-old female birder. I've basically been birding since I've been in diapers. Um, it's the one vantage point of growing up in a big birding family. Um, my dad's a big birder. He's one of, I think, only 12 people. That's over 900 on his species list for Southern Africa. Um, and then mom's, mom's not far off. She's in her high 700s. Um, so I've basically just grown up in birding. You know, that's the norm to me. Going out on a weekend and we'll be birding. Or when we go to Kruger, we'll be birding. So it's, it's always been a big hobby and passion of mine. And just the total love and interest is, is birding. And what was your earliest birding memory? And, you know, there might just be that memory that sticks in your mind that, you know, maybe when you grew up, something that happened. What is your earliest birding memory that just sticks in your mind? Yeah, if I, I have two specific ones. I have um, where we had a pennant wing nightjar in Kruger up at Pafiri, uh, Punda. And um, what happened was, is we always first at the gate to get out and help us four in the morning. And we had the spots on. And the next thing we just came to a complete halt. And my dad was like, pen and wing nightjar, pen and wing nightjar. And a beautiful male sat in the middle of the road. And I must have been five or six. So, you know, it's one of those birds you see in your bird book that you really want to see. It might not be one of the colorful ones, but it was one of the like really odd, weird ones with those long pennants. Um, so that's definitely one that sticks, sticks out to me. It was probably one of the first birds I could ID as well was a pen and wing nightjar. And then the second one would have been um, an African skimmer that was actually up here in, um, at Makumbu Dam one year. They, they picked up a skimmer. And I think I also was about seven or eight. And it was just something that has stuck with me forever. It's just this, seeing the skimmer like two, three meters away from me just going about his own thing. So yeah, those are definitely two memories that are very close to my heart and something I'll never, ever forget. 
Those are two memories that make me very jealous. Two birds I still really want to see. <laughs> you must join us on a, on a Kruger weekend, definitely. I'm very, very keen. Um, so what what would you say is your favorite species of birds? I know this is one of those things that's very difficult to choose. It's almost like saying to a parent, which is your favorite child? <laughs> but what is your favorite species of birds? And why do you think that that is a bird that is close to your heart? Sure. If I must be honest, probably if we're talking about in the world, it has to be a black bush robin. Um, it's a species I'm, I only got on my second trip to Israel. I missed it on my first trip like four times. We tried for it. Every time it popped up, we get there 10 minutes too late and it'd be gone. And then the second trip to Israel, um, somebody reported it in one of the um, wadis actually. And we got in the car out of a Lutz, driving all the way up and um, got the bird. And I mean, it's this dull black bird. It's really like just a black thrush. That's all it is. But it was such such a relief to just finally connect with this bird and it's actually just so pretty so elegant um so worldwide that must be my favorite bird it's so plain but just the memory and knowing how hard i tried to find it um was definitely worth it and then probably south south african wise it has to be the secretary bird i absolutely love them they just have this attitude towards them the style this elegance the way they go about their they're walking in the grass looking for food and stuff like that. And just their beauty, you know, they're so elegant. So I really, really enjoy those those two birds. I think it's something that people don't always understand. When we ask about our favorite birds, it's interesting how it's not always the most colorful, the most attractive, the biggest bird. It's often the bird that there's a story attached to it. And yeah, and it's, it's amazing. I think that's what birding's all about. It's not just the birds we see, it's the stories around the bird, the people we get to meet, and it's, it's, it's really, really amazing. No, and the people you get to share that experience with, you know, like our team, our team in Israel, it was just such a everybody giving everybody high fives, and it was a life for all of us, so we were all super chuffed. So, no, it's really, really nice. And then just the, the secretary bird, you know, when we're guiding out and you're bringing people from Australia or America, their eyes and their faces light up every time they see one of them. They just, they like go speechless. They're like, what is this bird? You know, they really, really love them. So no, it's, it's always nice. And then talking about people that you get to bird with, I've heard the story from John's side. Now I want to hear the story from you, from your side, because sometimes when you ask the couple, there's two different sides to the story. So <laughs> you, you are really clever because you're a birder and instead of trying to fight to get time to go birding, you ended up getting into a relationship with a birder and eventually getting engaged to a birder. So tell us, little, tell us all the details. Tell us how you guys met. And, and also tell us, you know, I'm just interested to know, you know, obviously, I think although you are both birders, I don't you know, not, not all birders are always equal. So were they, you know, getting involved with John who has done... Um, big years and all these kind of things were there adjustments that you needed to make in terms of the way you you did life if you want to say that yeah so in the beginning so how we met was actually quite interesting and really like very special actually my dad and I we were well, actually a family holiday in Kruger and we'd gone for an afternoon drive and we got it they had lots of rain in Kruger that year and we got to this puddle in the road basically and we saw the snipe now any snipe in Kruger is generally like wow you know you don't really ever see them 
So looking at it, looking at it, and eventually my dad said, whoa, something's wrong. This snipe is different. So I was like, okay. So we drive a little bit closer. And as we drive closer, it flashes up. And I managed to get flight shots. So we get back to camp. Now I'm not thinking anything, wow, you know, we're thinking, oh, it's different. We must just have a look at it when we get back to camp. So I get back to camp, look at the pictures, send them through to Francie Peacock and Etienne Marie. And they both come back and they're like, you guys have just found a great snap. I think at that time, it was probably the second, I'm talking under correction here, but probably the second confirmed record for South Africa. So it was really a huge, huge bird. And um, probably an hour after we got the, the um, news out on rare birds, John sent me a Facebook message asking about the bird. Now, I'd never met him before. I'd never spoken to him before or anything like that. So here's a young birder. I'm sending another young bird a message and I thought, okay, nice, you know, I've got a new friend, told him about the bird. And then after that, we just started chatting and then we actually went birding a month later with him and his friend and, and two other friends. And we just hit it off from there. It was just total, it was so nice to find somebody that shares the same passion as you. Um, so from that, we started dating, I think only a year after that, we started dating and been together ever since. So no, it's totally, totally birdie love story. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we enjoy it. And then I must admit, it isn't easy being in a relationship, let alone being engaged to another serious birder. I remember being in school still, you know, whenever a red bird would pop up, I couldn't just get on a plane and go and see it, do a twitch like, like everybody would call it. So we'd have these massive arguments about John having to wait for me till it was weekend or I think there were about two instances where he slipped away um, in the week and I was so upset because he just left me behind <laughs> to go see birds. Um, so no, it's, but it's always been fun, you know, doing twitching together and just literally sharing this passion for birds and birding with somebody who understands it. Um, you know, that doesn't think you're weird, that gets up early with you, that'll sit waiting for a bird for three or four hours with you. Um, so no, I definitely, definitely enjoy enjoy it. Okay, let's get the inside juice. You kind of touched on something there, and I want to know all about this. Which is your, what has been your biggest bird-related argument? This is, this is cool. This is, this is what people pay money to hear. Tell me the biggest bird-related argument you and John have had. Oh, that's easy. That's totally easy. So um, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, I think it's probably now three or four years ago, um, that Egyptian vulture that popped up close to Olifant that you could see off of the high level bridge. Yeah, I do remember that. Eh? Yeah, John was on a trip uh, to Antarctica at the time um, and this bird popped up and I still needed it. So I said, I sent him a message. Luckily he had Wi-Fi on the boat. I said to him, listen, you on a boat in the middle of the Great White, can I please, you know, not, not please, but is it okay if I go and twitch this bird? And he was not happy. He was like, no, I still need it. It's unfair. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're sitting in, in the Antarctic looking at snow petrels go past you every five minutes. And I must sit at home and not see anything. So before telling him that I left, literally got got the car packed got a friend we went down got the bird and the next one is like oh oh you got the bird and i'm like yep yep i went for the bird <laughs> so he was not too impressed with that but we settled it two years later or a year later 
when the other Egyptian vulture popped up, I said to him, let's pack the car, let's go down to Kruger, and we got it for him. So it sort of settled that, but yeah, it was very, very thin ice <laughs> I walked on when I, went, when I went to get that vulture. He was not impressed. I just wonder if 90% of your premarital counseling is around birds. <laughs> Literally, we often, if we go out birding, and I'll call it this, he'll call it that, and then it just be like, no, it's that, no. It's definitely that. And then eventually we just leave it. We don't make an idea on it. We just, we just move on. Um, but no, it's the, the, the arguments around birding and stuff is few and far between. Um, we've got a lot more enjoyable moments, I would say. So you spoke earlier about Israel and, and that kind of thing. And I think that was around the Champions of the Flyway competition. So tell me all about the Champions of the Flyway competition. I know this year it was a bit different, but what is this whole Champions of the Flyway all about? And is it all about just chasing birds or is there a bigger purpose behind it? Yes. So it's luckily, it is a lot about chasing totals on the actual day, but that's all about the fun. So the main aim of Champions of the Flyway is basically to create, to um, get funds for birds going over the flyway paths through Israel and then over and um, they basically just get shot down and hunted and trapped and stuff like that. So Champions of the Flyway is an event that I think was started six or seven years ago um, by a group of Israeli birders um, and they've made a massive success. They've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for, for bird conservation over the flyways. So it's a big event where before the time you have about three or four months of fundraising. And I mean, we do everything. We go big <laughs> at the robots in tutus and, you know, funny hats and stuff like that. And <laughs> I think a lot of people would pay money to see John in a tutu, a ballerina tutu. But yeah, so it's all good fun and in good spirits. So for about after the fundraising, we all head down to Israel. Um, where all of the teams, I mean, it's an international event, so you've got teams from all across the globe participating. Then you all meet down there. I think teams are about four or five people max. And then we all meet down in Israel about a week before the race day, if you can call it that. We all do our birding. We get our locations, our spots. We basically get ready for a 24-hour bird race. Um, we'll have a pre a pre dinner the night before, like a welcoming ceremony where all the teams get announced and everybody gets their numbers and stuff like that. And then it's race day. So race day is literally 24 hours of birding nonstop. Um, and a lot of the teams also raise money on on race day. So you can basically say, I'll pay $10 if you can find this species, or I'll pay $500 if you can find that species. Um, so it's all about the fundraising and the conservation aspect of stuff. But then there's obviously the fun about who gets to win, you know, who's had the most species in a day or who's had the most flat tires in a day or anything like that. Um, but it's an amazing event that I would really encourage anybody out there that's listening to this to definitely get a team together and participate. You don't have to actually go down to Israel. You can also just participate in doing the fundraising if, if you're passionate about it and that's what you'd like to, to contribute to. So yeah, it's an amazing event. And then what is the birding like in Israel? I mean, there's a lot of reasons people go to Israel, but what is the birding like in Israel? So especially over um, March period when it is migration, you have fallout. Um, you often have fallout with raptors and you literally get 
thousands of step eagles going past you. Or you had last, last year we had um, a wagtail fallout where we had thousands and thousands of white wagtails, the different forms of yellow wagtails, citrine wagtails. Um, so they were just everywhere in this desert open plain. The birding isn't easy. Um, it really isn't easy. Um, we probably as South Africans, you know, doing the Northern Cape and the Kalahari and stuff like that, and even Namibia, it's easier for us because we're used to desert-type birding. But I think for, for people from the tropical side of the world, it's really a, a different experience, all in all. And it's just, you think, you think desert, so you think, okay, there's, you know, almost nothing out there. But any little bush, any little wadi, any cliff face will have a bird on it, like definitely. Um, so it's, it's an incredible birding experience, especially over the migration season when you have just these thousands and thousands of birds coming over in their masses, you know, and especially being down in Eilat, where the birds, that's their first drop-off point over the water, and so where they come down and stuff like that. So the bird, the um, IBRCE, is just an amazing park where you can just see so many different bird species um, literally just sitting at the heights and they just drop all the warblers, all the wagtails, waders. Um, you have geese and ducks coming over. You have raptors constantly coming over, oriental honey buzzards and stuff like that. So no, it's really a one in a million experience. Have you heard that BirdLife South Africa is hosting the first ever virtual African bird fair on Saturday, the 5th of September, 2020. We will be showcasing a jam-packed full day with world-class speakers, giving fantastic talks and presentations, silent auctions, virtual exhibitor stalls, and much, much more. You will be able to join and participate from the comfort of your own home with the whole family. Keep an eagle eye out for registrations to open and for announcements of the amazing speakers we have lined up. We are bringing virtually the best bird fair in Africa to you. Be sure not to miss out. Um, I remember when you were in matric, um, you led a walk with John at the bird fair. And what really amazed me was your knowledge of birds. I remember you guys got me the fairy fly catcher, which was really cool. I know you spoke about the fact that your father was an amazing birder, your mother was an amazing birder, but what what do you think it what do you think is the thing that helped you to become the birder that you are at such a young age. And I'm not just asking this, you know, I'm asking you what, what practical tips would, would you give to maybe other birders out there who want to grow as birders? What were things that you did that made you into the birder that you are? So what definitely helped um, was I think at the age of 12 or 13, my parents gave me a camera. So I'd go out and I'd spend about literally get home from school and I'd go out and I'd just take pictures of every single bird I can find. Anything with feathers, I'd take a picture, whether it was this perfect, amazing shot or whether it was just a shot so that I could get back home and ID the bird. So I'd often sit and just for hours page through my bird book and try and ID every bird I saw. Um, it was sort of a mission of mine to, to go out, take let's say 20 to 30 photographs of birds, of different birds, get back and be able to ID them and put a name to them. Um, and then the other thing was, is I spent a lot of time going through my field guides. I love reading my field guides. 
I love paging through them, literally just looking at the birds and those little descriptions next to the birds, you know, telling you about a wing pattern or a tail bar or, you know, the gape is this long or stuff like that. So definitely what I would suggest to younger birders or even new and upcoming birders is definitely get yourself a field guide. There are a, an array of field guides out there um, for birders available, especially South African wise. I mean, you've got Fancy's new book, you've got the new Sassel, you have Roberts, you've got apps. Um, so I definitely spend a lot of my time going through the books and just reading, just even, even, even little boring stuff that you don't think you'll ever use, you know, came in handy. Um, and then one thing that really helped me as well as a birder is listening to the older birders, the older generation. They were super wise. They had a lot of information. Um, you know, they knew what they were doing and they knew their birds. So if they said to you, Tony, you know, look at this wing bar or take note of that undertail covert or whatever they, they'd say, I definitely take it to, to heart and say, okay, yeah, sure. Thank you so much. You know, I'll definitely have a look at it next time. Um, so that, that really helped my, my birding um, was listening to people's advice and, and just suggestions. And then you, we spoke earlier about the champions of the flyway. So obviously the first time you went to Israel, there would have been a lot of species that you had no idea, you know, what they looked like, what their call were like. So how would have the practical preparation look like for that? And the reason I ask this is that, you know, there's times, for example, somebody plans to go on a trip to Vakastrum or to the Karoo and they haven't birded that place before. Um, what, do, what did the practical preparation look like for that? And how would you and John prepare if you're going to a place that you don't really know well and you've got to prepare yourself for the birds that you're going to see and even more difficult, the birds that you're going to hear? How does that practical preparation look? So what I, what I would suggest and what we did is we made a, basically a soundtrack of all the birds we thought we'd possibly encounter. And we put it on a, on a CD and literally driving from, from home to the shops or going to pick up takeaways or whatever you, wherever we went, we'd play it and we'd like test each other out. Um, you know, if I was busy studying, I'd have the soundtracks playing in my, in my headphones and stuff like that. So definitely downloading the sounds and getting them onto a track or a CD or, you know, your MP3 player or your iPod or your phone, whatever the case is, that helps 110%. It helped with the Israel trip, you know, when we got, when we touched down and you hear a bird and you're like, oh, yeah, I know that, I know that. And eventually it comes to you or, you know, even if you couldn't ID it straight away, you sort of knew which family to look at. So you'd get, you hear a bird and you say, okay, you're locks. Or you'd hear a bird and you say, oh, yeah, you're yeah, a raptor. I, I, I remember that raptor. You know, so it, it definitely helps. It helped a lot with my first Namibia trip as well. Um, I spent a lot of my time listening to, to the sounds more than I did um, basically reading through my books. I literally just focused on my sounds. And that helps a lot in Namibia um, because you don't always see the birds immediately. You hear them before you see them. I picked up a rare chat like that. Um, at two different spots, heard the bird and I was like, wait a minute, I know this call, I've listened to it, I know it, and ah, oh, yeah, that's what it was, so then you start looking for the bird, you know, you sort of know it's going to be on top of a shrub, or, or whatever the case is, so definitely for any birders planning on going, whether it's in South Africa, whether it's abroad, 
definitely focus on your calls. It's very important. You can rather, you know, take a picture of the bird and go back later and scroll through your book because that, that picture is going to be there. But the book doesn't play the sound for you. Um, and a lot of the time, birds give away their location by their sound instead of us actually picking them up first, you know, through our binoculars or through our scope or whatever the case is. You'll hear them nine out of ten times you'll hear a bird before you see it. Um, so that's definitely a very important thing to do. And then to basically what I also did with Israel is I read a lot about the habitat, you know, your wadis, your kibbutzes, your shoreline, your bird parks, or even just normal parks, garden parks, parks and stuff like that. That helps a lot with orientating oneself, you know, knowing that, okay, I'm in this habitat, this is sort of what I can expect. Okay, sure, but now we're in a more um, wetland type habitat. Okay, this is what I can expect. Um, so that's definitely two key points that I would definitely say somebody should focus on when they're doing a, a trip to a new destination. And then when you're not playing bird calls through your earphones, what music do you guys enjoy listening to? <laughs> Probably John enjoys his, his music with beat. Um, I'm very much just hip-hop there, whatever's new coming out. Um, that and then um, we listen to a lot of Johnny Clegg that I must say we absolutely love playing Johnny Clegg's music and Toto Africa that's one of our favorite songs as well um, so yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much what we listen to and then I know you you and John were involved in youth African birding and um, I just want to ask a question how well do you think that South African bird clubs are reaching young birders and there, there seems to be a lot more older birders involved in bird clubs. And do you think there's things that bird clubs could do practically to help reach younger birders? Yes. So unfortunately, birding, you know, is seen, and I, this is this is throughout the world. It's seen as a older people, older generation hobby. Um, people don't see it as youngsters, teenagers, mid-teens, you know, they don't see it as, as a hobby for them. Um, so what I would suggest, bird clubs can definitely be more interactive for younger birders. Um, personally, and I don't wanna say anything negative towards any of our bird clubs that are doing an amazing job, you know, providing for birders, doing trips for birders, doing camps for birders, doing outings, you know, having talks where people can attend and stuff like that. So they are doing a fantastic job for the general birder. What I would suggest um, bird clubs do, that's what, that's what we tried to do a couple of years ago with Youth Africa Birding, is try and get more youth-orientated outings where unfortunately the youth and the older generation don't always enjoy each other's presence when you're out birding. You know, the youngsters are a lot more <laughs> robust and noisy and boisterous and stuff like that, whereas the older generation are a lot more quiet and relaxed and you know at a very nice slow pace um, and us youngsters we like to just go at 95 percent speed the whole time um, so what i would suggest bird clubs do is just do literally a youth outing just just youth nobody else you have uh, let's say a couple of 20 odd year olds um taking taking a couple of youngsters out with a representative from the bird club and you make it young you know you have a braai you have 
something interactive, maybe like a little quiz when you're out in the bush. Um, so that's definitely one thing they can do. And then what I would suggest as well is maybe just more uh, youth orientated challenges, you know, stuff that would apply to kids. Um, send us your best picture, you know, and that, that's encouraging, encouraging youngsters to go out and really try use mom and dad's camera and see what they can snap with it. Um, or tell us about your best birding memory. Youngsters absolutely love chatting about, oh, you know, we saw this bird and they absolutely love telling you about their adventures. So that's definitely something I would encourage. And I think we can grow in South Africa, especially. Yeah, and I do think it's really important we get younger birders wise in the long in the long run, we're just not gonna have clubs anymore. So we right in the middle of celebrating Women's Month and as um, the birding life we've been celebrating women birders and conservationists. But I wanna ask a question that could be a little bit controversial, but I wanna ask, do you feel that birding is a welcoming environment for women birders? And do you feel that there are possibly some prejudices that need to be tackled? So yes. Definitely. Um, it's definitely a very, it's, it's in a way an inviting environment that it's a growing hobby between women, um, especially, you know, your younger generation, your teenagers to your 30 year olds, 40 year olds. Um, it's always been a more older generation hobby, which has been a lot, a lot of male and female dominated, but in the younger generations, us girls are definitely, definitely coming through in, in the ranks and stuff like that and in good numbers. Um, but it is unfortunate that there are a lot of prejudices against female birders in general, you know, whether you're 60, whether you're 40, whether you're 20, um, whatever the case is, is unfortunately people don't take you as serious as, you know, if, if you were a male birder. and as a female guide, and I've spoken to quite a few of my international friends, female guides as well, we all sort of have to go through the same thing where you have one or two clients and this is really not a common occurrence. It happens probably one out of 10 trips, if that, but it does happen, which is a problem, um, is that you have older gentlemen, guys that would, you know, almost in a way start catcalling you or being like, you know, yeah, you can definitely take me for a day trip or stuff like that. So that is definitely a problem in the birding world, um, but it's not major. Although I would like to stress the fact that I want people to be more aware of it and I want people to call out, you know, guys, you know, if, 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 you're, if your friend's doing that, call them out. Just say, hey, dude, it's not cool. You know, don't, don't do that. Or, you know, if, you, if it's one of the guys in your birding group, voice it. Just say, you know, I don't think what you did today was, was cool or okay or acceptable. You know, maybe just tomorrow apologize to the guide or the, or the female or whoever it is and, you know, take it from there. So it definitely is, is a, a problem in the, in, the, in the birding world, not, not just the guiding industry. I mean, John and I are going out birding and we won't even be guiding. We'll just be with a group of friends. And it's just, it's not done intentionally. But if we make an ID on, you know, a little LBJ or something that's really not an easy ID, they'll be more inclined to believe John's call than my call. Um, and that's just unfortunately that. But 
it's really not not that bad <laughs> you know as other as other hobbies out there or but it is a thing that's a common occurrence and i think it's a common occurrence in any hobby you do you know whether it's golf or cricket or hiking or cycling it's people see it just as more male orientated hobbies unfortunately and i think it starts with i think you kind of touched on it, it's becoming getting to a place of awareness where you know especially myself as a male birder is becoming aware of how things can be interpreted of things that are said maybe some things that the men are saying they're not necessarily saying to try and be sexist but you know being aware of how what they are saying could be could possibly be interpreted on the other side and i think it go it probably goes a bit deeper i think you know when we're sitting around a campfire at night and there's three or four men and having a conversation i think it's even in that in that atmosphere is what conversations are taking place. And I think if we want birding to be a wel- welcoming environment for women, I think there has to be this place where, like you said, we are have the guts to call men out to say things that are sexist. We become more self-aware ourselves. And I think also the conversations that happen maybe when women aren't even around, we are more sensitive in those conversations. No, definitely, definitely. I mean, nine out of 10 times, it's really done unintentionally. They don't mean it in a rude or degrading manner it just it unfortunately comes across that way um you know and also i've experienced really well-known birders being extremely sexist towards women and people just refuse to call them out on it because you know what he's a well-known birder and you know we've got the world's respect for him so you know what he can do is okay it's just unfortunately the the stereotype that we have to deal with these days but it's really not it's not that that bad so please all the, all the male birders that are listening to this please don't think i'm totally one just for girl power i'm totally i love girls and i love girl power and stuff like that and i encourage it but i think you know i think it's sometimes vice versa as well where a woman will just totally unintentionally make a bad remark towards a guy birder and not mean it badly but it can take and it can be taken up badly I love what you say. It's it's looking both ways and just becoming aware of, of what we are saying, how we are saying things and, and doing what we can to create a healthy environment where where people can actually enjoy being a part of this birding community. So the last thing I want to ask you is that you and John run uh, an amazing birding, birding company called Expedition Birding. So can you tell us about the company and also how COVID-19 has impacted you guys? Yeah, sure. No, so Expedition Birding has been quite... Uh, a long, I almost want to say long life dream, but we're not that old. (laughs) It's been a dream that John and I, we've always, you know, being birders and loving the outdoors and stuff like that, and even loving wildlife and botany and stuff like that. We've always wanted to start up our own little thing and our own little company and just basically share our knowledge with people. I mean, I love seeing people's faces light up when they see a new bird or when they learn something new. So from that, we then sat down and we said, okay, wait a minute, you know what, let's start, let's start a birding and wildlife tour company, which is called Expedition Birding. We started it early last year, but we only sort of really took it very seriously at the beginning of this year, before any COVID situation or anything like that. Um, And we were doing really, really well, but unfortunately, as with many other companies, tour companies, normal businesses, you know, people just out there 
COVID has definitely knocked our company big time. We've unfortunately had to cancel quite a few of our trips, upcoming trips, trips that we were literally about to leave three days, you know, we were going on a tour and then got the news of COVID and borders shutting and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's been tough. It's not, not easy, but we've managed to find ways to connect with our clients and people out there through social media. We held talks, we've been punting social media hectically, um, you know, just engaging with people through social media. Social media is such a powerful tool to use for one's business. So it's had its up and downs, but it's not all doom and gloom. So I'm sure there's, there's light at the end of this tunnel. So I'm going to let you go on a really strong punt for expedition birding. So I'm always interested, you know, when people start a company, you don't start a company to be like everybody else. You start a company because you believe you have something unique to offer the market. So, you know, going out of this, the season of COVID-19 and the regulations and the are starting to be eased somewhat, you know, what what is it that if somebody's listening to this and they're looking to go on a tour, what is it that sets expedition birding apart from from other um, birding companies on the market? And why do you say that people should book a tour with you guys? So <laughs> I don't want to be be that person to say that you have to book a tour with us. You know that we're the best, we're the only option out there. Um, there are a lot of amazing tour companies out there, which you know just cater for different things you know one person might like to sleep in a hotel and the other might like to rough and tumble it and camp and stuff like that so at at expedition birding i'd like to believe that we create a very unique tour where we not just solely bird focused or orientated we take in everything we'll take in the geography of the of the of the area that we're visiting the um well, birds, the wildlife, and most importantly to me as a guide, the botany. Um, so we, we also, our trips, we try and do as cost effective as possible and support, obviously, your local guides in, in these various countries um, and, and eco-lodges and stuff like that. So I'd like to believe that we, we are almost, I don't want to say on the cheaper side of things, but that we are trying to cater for the market that can't afford these really expensive two, three week tours, but that you can afford it with us and you can still go and see the same bird. You can visit the same area. You can see the same flower, animal, whatever it is that you are interested in, you know, you can see it at a cheaper or a less expensive cost. Um, so yeah, we just like to be basically all encompassing. I love every part of of nature, whether it's the stars or whether it's botany, birding, wildlife. So we focus on it all. Yeah. So I think when I spoke to John a while ago, he spoke about that. He said that literally, whatever the budget, we he'll try and make it work. So yeah, thanks for being on the show, Tony. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I know this, what people might not know is, and I'll just say this, uh, this interview is done over two parts because of Wi-Fi challenges and fires and all sorts of things and your cell phone going wonky. But Tony, I really appreciate you being on the show. And and you know what? I just want to say, you know, at the end of this, the challenge for me when we're doing these these podcasts is I don't want to 
celebrate you just as a woman birder, but I want to celebrate you as a birder. And I just want to say, you know, it's inspiring seeing the the posts you're putting out, the the quality of the stuff that you guys are doing. And I just want to say, keep up the the good work. Um, just want to say you're doing an already. You and John are doing an amazing, amazing work. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for all the hard work you've put into to the birding podcast. I absolutely love listening to it. Um, every single episode that comes out, fairly enjoy it. And I would recommend it to anyone out there. Do yourself a favor, get a nice cup of tea or cup of coffee and just sit down and play it on speaker. Um, so no, again, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And yeah, I hope things go well your side. Be sure to head over to Expedition Birding's social media platforms and check out just what they offer. Don't forget we are raising much-needed funds for the Mabula Ground Hornball Project throughout the month of August. Click on the link in the comments section of this podcast to give and stand in line to win amazing prizes. All of the relevant email addresses and websites from this episode are in the comments section of this podcast. We are proud to be working in association with Wild Books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price. If you would like to support the Bird Enough project and the resources that we are putting out, please click on either the link in either the comments section of this podcast or in our social media posts. Your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact. Be sure to head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com. Not only do we have our regular blog section giving all sorts of information about Southern African birding, we have also just recently launched an exciting forum page on the website. Be sure to head on to the page and use this resource to grow as a birder and to learn a whole lot more about birding. Also, don't forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlass and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a life list while playing your part in social conservation, as well as Jarovsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.